excited as we continue in this uh, series of the Great I Am, and and uh, really appreciate as the the studies that we've had thus far, and it's an interesting series. It's uh, I think it'll be a uh, we'll see some overlap in this series uh, from time to time, but uh, still the messages that Jesus leaves in these in these uh, teachings uh, are uniquely uh, separate in their own, own accord. We begin the reading uh, out of John. 1 through 7 verses. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So many of us are familiar with these passages, these passages and here we find Jesus spending time with his disciples that Yancey mentioned uh, back a couple of weeks ago. He's talking with them about things, and what we know is that this is one of the last times uh, he will be speaking with his disciples. And at this point in time in his conversation, he's trying to teach them some lessons using the metaphor of a vineyard. So I'm going to set the scene here a little bit. This is the last of the seven times recorded in the Gospel of John where he uses the phrase, I am. Some of the particular points of this is that we can remember this is uh, was only said to his closest disciples. So it's a unique relationship that he has, as with, of course, with his disciples. But I believe also we'll see to the divine purpose um, and the identity that he was hoping to describe with them and those that were his specific and unique followers and those who had chosen uh, to follow him. So hopefully we'll see some of the uh, same relationships with us and understand how this then applies to us today, uh, this teaching that he has had with his disciples. So here we read, we pick up in John uh, 13, 29. Some thought that because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. So what we know here is this was shortly before Judas was about uh, to betray him. In fact, we read on in John 14, 2, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? You see here, in fact, we see that, that Judas has already left. So we see Jesus is here. Uh, he's, he's meeting with them, and he was preparing his disciples, again, his closest friends, the ones he wanted to be with. Um, the 11 left. At this point, again, Judas has left. So this is right before his pending arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection and departure to heaven. Because Jesus knows when he's teaching here, he knows the end is near. And yet with all of this, he wants to prepare his disciples for the coming hour. You see, he's just told them he's leaving them. He knows they're going to be disturbed, they're going to be upset, they're going to be confused. So he wanted to leave with them 
this unique metaphor that he knew was applicable to them. He knew they would understand what he was talking about and would hopefully provide comfort uh, in, in the coming hours. He wanted them to know he wasn't leaving to this for, to some foreign land, but also that he would no longer be in their physical presence. Again, we read here this verse, and here it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, again, if you, if you go back in the Old Testament, I think you'll see that term be husbandman, uh, husbandry, and, um, uh, and the husbandman. And what that roughly, I had to look up to see what a husbandman was, but it was roughly a small tenant or a farmer, a small landowner, so they would have understood that relationship. A person who would go and cultivate their land or cultivate uh, their vineyard, so thus the commonality of the vine dresser. So Jesus says, God is the gardener. He's the one in charge. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's the one in charge of the vineyard. He's in control. And then he refers to himself as the grapevine, the true vine, the one who will bear uh, good fruit to his father's approval and to his glory. And just as the roots and the trunk of the vine would sustain its branches while they develop and produce fruit. That's what he's trying to set the stage here with these simple things. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And even though they can't, uh, cannot see him, they will be, they, he knows that they will be closely connected to him as the branches are to the vine. His living energy still in them the true source of the life. That'll be the spiritual reality that would continue to allow them to be nourished and uh, sustain them. And so you see today as Christians, the same should apply to us. Same as it was 2,000 years ago. That same relationship between the, um, that we see being described here. And he wanted them to understand the importance of the desire to love him and know him and have the ability to serve him and keep flowing and, and keep producing the fruits that we abide in him and are connected to him. He goes on to say, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says here, he says, No branch can even live or survive, let alone produce fruit. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, we begin to see a relationship here. You see, we understand if, if a branch is separated or cut off from a plant, then it's of no use. It's been cut off from the trunk or the vine. It's just no good at that point. What we know happens when we cut a plant, a branch. It's going to wither and die. And so just as a vine's branches are relying, being connected to that trunk or vine, where they receive what they need to, to bear that fruit, we as Jesus' disciples depend on that, uh, that same connection to him for the spiritual life and to serve our purpose. So what's that purpose that we're talking about? The fruit that we produce, that Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. Here we read in Galatians 5.22, But fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We're very familiar with these passages, and you see the spiritual fruit that he's referring to here is not just in our, it's not just in ourselves dependent, independent. But 
what we see here is a relationship with Christ. Again, we go back to our relationship of the fruit uh, back to the branch. In Ephesians 1, uh, verse 13, we read, In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of glory. I believe what we see being explained here is that that Holy Spirit it's, our, it's an inheritance that's, that's given to us to believers in Christ. That, again, guarantees our relationship with Christ, that we can bear fruits, and that we can live and, and serve righteously only if we're connected to him through our faith and love. Again, we see the analogy in, in John 15:5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what he is saying here. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, sometimes we, we think that we have love, that we have goodness in our heart. But if we're apart from God, then roughly it's going to be about our own belief. Our, and, and, and would be not described as uh, the kind that's described as godly fruit. I think sometimes we think we do things, but if it's not considered godly fruit, then it's of no value. And that's what he's saying. No believer can achieve anything of spiritual value independent of Christ. And that causes me to think, you know, sometimes the world is beginning to want to live autonomously. I answer to no one. We see that going on right now, probably more than any time that I can, can remember. I answer to no one. I am self-sufficient. I can have my own thoughts determine what I believe is right and wrong. But you see, that's not what's being described here. We are not created to be totally independent but it's, and connected to no one. We're created to be connected to Christ and be connected to each other. And it reminds us there are some who are in him who bear no fruit. And we'll talk about that in a moment. There's a time when you can be a branch and bear no fruit. But what good is that? You see, the vine and the branches and the fruit, all, all true branches are designed and meant to bear fruit. Plants are no good if it's a beautiful plant, has a lot of branches on it, but it's not producing what it's meant to produce. And so we see here, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs or thistles? So every tr healthy tree bears good fruit, fruit but the desire, uh, diseased tree, tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus we will recognize them by their fruits. So again, what we see in these passages here is just as we know and can recognize a healthy and great uh, a living vine, uh, by the good fruit, if we look at a, a plant and we see the good fruit that it produces, then we can also, in turn, recognize those fruitless uh, branches that have no meaning. Uh, and they're not serving the, their purpose, especially as we see them in comparison to each other. This plant is beautiful, it's producing fruit. This plant, 
could be beautiful, not producing fruit. There's, there's a problem with that uh, connection. So I think we see, probably through this description, uh, that we see him explaining in, in, in the sixth verse, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gather, gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So if you're looking at a plant and you're looking at and, and going down and, and looking at the fruit and all of a sudden you come across fruit like this, what are you going to do? You're going to do one thing. There's only one thing to do with it. You're going to cut it away um, and throw it away. So what, we, what I see here is that those who are not producing good fruit, there's the picture. At some point they're just going to be cut away and burned. Those who profess to know Christ, but whose re relationship is, is insincere, eventually it's going to mean that if that branch remains fruitless, it's just going to be cut off and removed. And you would say, why? Because, number one, it's of no good, but also why else? For the sake of the other branches. You see, sometimes branches need maintenance. Um, and, and anybody who's been around plants and known a pruning, maybe there's a season uh, that with some maintenance it can be healthy again and returned. But sometimes there's just sometimes there's a reason that it's no good, and the only thing you can do is is remove it and and cut it away and and, and throw it away. So we see a term being used here to abide. That means to stay, to live in union. Um, and so we want to take a look at this application of what does it mean to abide in him. As Jesus, I think what Jesus seems to be saying is you need to be staying at home uh, with him. If you stay at home with me, I'll stay at home with you. Uh, and you'll bear much fruit. And so we can see how that applies to us. Jesus needs to be part of our daily existence uh, in our life. And, and, and so he'll feel at home to us. Talking with him is like talking to our friends, spending time with our friends, spending time with them. Uh, just like when we hang out around our friends, we'll become more like him. And so if we stay connected to Jesus and, and we stay at home with him, I believe we'll become more like him. And so this is what he says in this, in, in this statement. You know, there's times when we think we can do things that impress others and maybe even in our minds impress God. But I think what he's again saying here is if we go alone and do not abide in him, it's going to be worthless. Because he says, with, if you don't abide in me, roughly he's saying you can do nothing in me. You can do nothing. You think about that term, if, if Jesus says, if you don't abide in me, you're worthless, you can do nothing. Just let that sink in. Sometimes when we think we're doing good, um, Maybe we're out there on our own. So you see, abiding in him means we aren't just believing in him or believing in some set of truths that we are aware of. We aren't just out practicing uh, being a great person and good ethics and morals. We aren't just out there doing good for others. Independent, but we're doing so in Christ. So we're abiding him in him means literally and, and figuratively. Meaning when he died on the cross, we died with him. When he arose from the dead, we arose and into a newness of life as he did.
We see you in Acts 17. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Again, we see we depend on Jesus for everything, just as, as a young child depends on their parents. A branch is totally dependent to the vine. If there's no relationship with the vine, it's, it is, it's dead. So the fruit we know requires a relationship to the branch. If there's no branch, there's no fruit. In fact, I think that's probably one of the interesting things you see is, here is we never see uh, a direct relationship between the fruit and the vine. There's no direct relationship that we see. The fruit's only a direct product from the branch. So one of the things we can see here is that there is, I think we see this connectedness that Jesus is describing to them from the vine to the branch to the fruit. And that while, so I think that what tells us is while we think we may be doing good work, we also see that Jesus is doing the work in us as well. There's a connect direction between branch and fruit. We also see uh, going on in the Romans 5, while if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Again, just further inside the, uh, the understanding that our total dependence on God comes through our relationship with Christ. And we can never effectively serve God without that connection through Christ. He's our connection with God who gives us life, and in turn he produces um, in us a fruit, the life of righteousness. So what does the, the vine symbolize? The wrapping, the winding of a vine, I think, represents what you see. The strength, stability, progress, the growth, uh, the endurance of, of of that entire relationship, the survival, the promise, the security. That's what comes from a long-lasting relationship uh, with a mature branch and a mature vine. That tenacious, that, that tight grip or bond between the vine and what it's attached to. You ever tried to remove a vine from some kind of fence line and how it's intertwined? a difficult job to ever cut a branch out of a, out of a, a vine. Why? Why is it really hard to remove a good, strong, healthy uh, vine in its root support? Because it's weathered drought. Storms. Tough times, likely. It's had to learn to grow, to, uh, grow to, and, and to seek the, the power of light to sustain its, its productive life. And then those vines uh, can in turn produce branches which produce fruit. And so we see then the harvest, the grapes which grow from the branch and, and that relationship, the vine, that represents hard work. The fruits of the labor that we just talked about. The nurturing and the determination to produce not just fruit, but healthy and abundant fruit. And so, of course, we know that 
believe that what Jesus, the, the kind of vine that Jesus was referring to, he wasn't referring to some poison ivy or, or some English ivy or, or some kind of wild vine that grows out in the woods. He was specifically referring to a grapevine uh, used for making uh, the, the wine in the drink of the day. It was common. It was just a common reference he knew the disciples would understand. The grapevine is by far one of the most referenced plants you'll see throughout the Bible. I saw, looked up and saw some references that some over 140 times uh, it's referenced uh, throughout the Bible. And we know that there's that relationship between, again, the vine and the fruit, and we know the purpose. The only purpose of that vine is to produce uh, its fruit. So it was very common. It was an important item to them, both culturally and economically. And so he, I believe he used this metaphor of the vineyard uh, in, in his last times with him because they could easily understand the meaning that Jesus was expressing. They may not have understood it completely at the time, but I believe they would come to understand uh, his teaching that he was, he was leading them with. But you know, if they'd never been exposed to a grapevine, it likely would not have made any, any sense. But again, I believe that he used this as a, as a metaphor they would understand. In Genesis 40, <coughs> We then read, So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened in the grapes. And then we see later a reference, and, and this is a fairly lengthy reading, but uh, I'll read through it because it makes a lot of sense as to our teaching today. He says, Let me sing. Uh, for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteous, but behold, an outcry. Some unique imagery that we, we can picture here. You know, and he's describing this um, beautiful vineyard, likely grown on a hillside for proper drainage. And the vineyard was to be cleared of stones, and, uh, which were common in Israel. And only then, after the ground being cultivated, was it uh, capable of being planted as a vineyard. And then a wall or hedge, he describes what will be built around it with a watchtower to keep the thieves at bay. So I want you to think about that imagery that he has for establishing a vineyard and then see it go to waste, as he described. Because it was not being taken care of, and it did not, did not produce the kind of fruit that God expected, but instead it produced grapes of humility and, and meekness and, and love and patience and contempt of the world. Um, and that's, we see the various pictures of, of a, a great vineyard that's being produced and then we see one that's, that's going to, 
to waste. So clearly what we expect is God expect or see is God expects the fruits of righteousness. Oops. back in John 15, we go back and we see every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does uh, bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruit. Already you are clean, or pruned, because of the word that I have spoken to you. So John is referring to here, he's, uh, this clean, he's referring to what we would think of as pruning. The need to remove branches that produce no fruit, and prune the ones that do not. To cut away the dead, to make to make clear uh, way for new growth, to create room for the uh, energy that a plant needs to, to sustain new growth and to create, uh, grow new branches, and then allow these branches to produce new and, and healthy vines and fruit, or, or healthy branches and fruit. So if you've ever grown plants, I'm sure most of us have, you understand that most plants um, will grow as long as they can. But you know, sometimes we've seen and we've grown plants that just produce these long, beautiful vines, um, almost to the point they get out of control. And if you don't prune it, that's all it is. It's just a wild plant, or just a, a healthy-looking plant, but it's out of control. But but with careful pruning, um, we can we can take that plant that it could be could look either really bad or it could look really good. Nonetheless, it needs pruning because that will help it utilize its energy more efficiently to grow the, branch, uh, the branches back stronger and healthy and will in turn produce more fruit. So sometimes when we think about that, sometimes we just need to apply that pruning um, in our lives. Sometimes a branch is in good shape and along the way, it, it, again, it grows out of control. And when it does, what he says here is the gardener is going to prune it. You know, I was over at Colin Jessica's this weekend, and I know she has grapes growing in her backyard. I know Sean and Rachel, uh, you know, have a blueberry farm, and you can see that that same analogy of the relationship of of healthy uh, vines and healthy branches. We've never grown any kind of grape vines uh, that I can remember. <laughs> But I do know we have a bunch of, of trees, well, fruit-bearing trees. We have, I think, four pear trees and apricot tree and several fig trees and probably two dozen large pecan trees. And I will tell you it's a chore to keep all of those plant, uh, pruned. We have trees right now that need to be pruned. The brand, they're beautiful in the, and, and, and they just producing a lot of fruit, but we know that even though they're doing that, they need to be pruned. And sometimes it's painful to go and prune what otherwise looks to be healthy branches, but we're doing that because ultimately we know it's best for the overall plant and its ability to continue to produce fruit. So I think that's what he is describing here when he talks about uh, in, these, in these few verses here. I think what we're reminded is the fact that this... Re Again, where Jesus refers to God as the one is in control. He starts with God as the vine dresser. He sees that the growth of the branches has become no, no longer productive and no longer bearing fruit or maybe even capable of bearing fruit. 
And when he sees that, what does he say will happen? He doesn't say he's going to necessarily go and destroy the entire plant. No, because Jesus is the his son is the vine. So that's never changing. That's going to endure forever. But we as his disciples, the branches, that's where we go back to we must stay connected to the vine. We, to do so, to remain healthy and, and have the ability to produce fruit. Or we might be in danger of being cut away and gathered up, as the Bible says, just cast and, and thrown in the fire. We're, we're no good if, if uh, we get where we can't produce fruit. So I want you to create that imagery uh, in your mind. And if there's one lesson that we can take away is just those physical images of what a healthy vine and branch and fruit looks like versus one that does not. And uh, what we must do to, to remain healthy and produce fruit so that we're not in danger of being cut away and gathered up by men and thrown away and cast into the fire. So God prunes our lives for our benefits to make us healthy, to make us stronger uh, in our relationship to Christ, to the true vine. I believe how sweet it is to God when we're not just capable of bearing fruit but we develop abundant fruit like you've seen in some of these images. And when we do this, I think we not only bring uh, joy to Christ and God our Father, but certainly we can bring joy to others. And so again, we see this imagery that Christ, uh, in talking with his disciples, their understanding of what a blessing it was to have uh, ability to produce abundant fruit. So hopefully this is one of the lessons we can see is not just the desire, but the requirement God has over his vineyard for which he has established and is in control and desires to see flourish. The vine dresser. We can see how God viewed his, his vineyard. He wants it to grow. He wants us to grow and to produce and to he will take control. I believe he'll take control and he will, uh, and if we do not abide in him and stay connected to him in a healthy manner, again, he has the warning that we'll be cut and cast forth as a branch onto the ground. That's not a pretty picture. When we, when we take the symbology and, and we see in these words and then we apply a physical image to it, it's not necessarily a pretty picture. Matthew 7 now, the one who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, a lesson we see here, who, who's the scripture uh, referring to in these verses? Those who claim to be Christ's disciples. But then he turns around and he says, but never really knew him. Branches that produce fruit are Christians and disciples, obedient to his calling, seeking to follow after him to produce fruit of the Spirit and to produce good works through their faith and are strengthened and continue to grow. And to avoid being what we see here. Again, Jesus is the vine, the unchanging. And as I think about that, again, this description when Jesus is talking to his disciples to picture that there are vineyards 
likely pretty close to, to the surrounding where he was at. And I've never been to the Holy Land, hope to go someday. But I know one thing I've heard from a lot of people who've been over there is there are several vineyards over there that they have proven through some uh, throughout history that they've been there for thousands of years. So when you think about that, just the continuance of being a healthy plant, and a healthy uh, relationship between the vine and the branches and the fruit. <clears throat> so finally, the third lesson uh, that I think we want to see is one of the basic promises we can see is if we stay connected to the, to the vine and bear fruit, we can do so forever. Because, again, just the analogy that we saw spoken to and what we see when people travel over and, and you can see the history of, of these vineyards that have been there forever. Galatians 5, 22, we're familiar with these verses, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. We remember here that Apostle Paul was talking about the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit being the creation of the, of the Holy Spirit. But you know, the fruit of the Spirit is not just something that springs out of our old nature and, and just lightly refined. It's not something we can create in our own selves, just by our own selves and our own will and effort. But what we see here is this is something that's, that's placed in us by God's, I believe, God's divine power. The energy that he provides us to and, and the desire for him to, as a, the vine dresser, to see his vineyard grow. And so with that, we see that we need to abide in it. We need to be fully connected to the vine and always think about our continual presence uh, with God in that relationship. So finally, I want to close with Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, when we think about what it means to be healthy and strong, um, branches producing fruit, we can think of this verse. Let our light shine that others may see what does that mean to you? Do you ever think about how much light you're producing? How much light are we producing? Or maybe how little light we're producing to others. You know, no one should ever be able to, to tell, um, no, no one should ever not be able to tell you're a Christian by the things you say and do, by the things we say and do. We want to be a, a, a beautiful branch, using what Christ provides us uh, in us to produce fruit, to allow others to see his goodness and glory. When we picture a plant like this, we can in turn see the goodness and glory of that plant, and it's doing what it was intended to do. It's fulfilling its purpose. And that should cause us to want to see that relationship, the goodness of glory in us, and continually seek to be the best that we can be in terms of remaining healthy as a disciple of Christ and as a church. You see, the light that shines in us is the light of Jesus shining within us. Because, and, and that only can happen when we see that strong relationship uh, and the connection to him. 
So I think when we look at this relationship, this very simple statement of he is the vine and we are the branches, we can see also this relationship that we can allow the light to shine that others may see his glory in us. So a very simple statement, some powerful words, um, an application, and maybe I, even as I studied on this, I'll look at the plants probably a little bit differently, uh, the relationship of the vine and uh, the branches and the fruit. I've certainly pruned many plants over time, and I understand that whole relationship. I've tried removing vines out of, out of fence holes and strongholds to my frustration because they are long-lasting. But when there is a healthy, I can also understand the relationship of a healthy vine and healthy branch and the healthy fruit that it produces. We can all see that uh, when we uh, apply that imagery. So I hope uh, we've learned something today from uh, the lesson that Jesus left with his disciples and that we can apply it in our, our lives moving forward. I want to close uh, uh, with, with uh, offering the services of the church. If there's anything we can do for you, please feel forward to uh, come as we stand and sing.